something to rejoice about this morning, Amen. sir. That's something that we ought to be focused on as we move. I'm ready to preach now. Lord, you showed out now. That was phenomenal. Let's pray. Let's put this thing under the blood this morning. When we walk away today, we'll just know we've been in the presence of the Almighty. God will just sweep in here, sweep away all the stuff, all the baggage, all the stuff that's burdening us. And though we may still have to face things this week, we know we face it with the overcomer. No matter what we face, God can handle it. Father, I pray today that we be surrendered. That in our hearts and our minds, we know there's nothing we're going to face that's going to surprise you. You're already there. And as we talked about this morning, God, you have told the fathers through the prophets. You told us through your word, not only through the prophets of the Old Testament, but through the preachers of the New, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No matter what, we can face this world through Him because He has overcome. Lord, may You radically do a work in our lives today to tear down every stronghold. Lord, to cast aside every weight that does so easily drag us down. May we run the race faithfully, patiently, because you are our Lord. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Very quickly, so we can get back to singing and worshiping. What a great day to be in the Lord's house. If you're visiting with us, you're our special guest. We want you to make yourself at home and just enjoy worshiping with us. And uh, let us know if there's any way we can minister to you. And uh, just enjoy the day. Starting tonight, uh, during our evening uh, time of worship together, we're going to be studying in small groups. Our men are going to be with Michael Smith. Well, what does it mean to be a church member? And uh, that's important. We just think you're walking out. It's easier to join the church than it is uh, the local rec department. What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ and be part of the local assembly? And then our ladies are going to be uh, in the book of Esther. And uh, it's going to be kind of continuing where they were before. But if you did not come before, it's all right. Uh, come on tonight and jump right in there. Uh, our youth are going to be meeting. Chad uh, is taking care of them, and they'll be having a great time in the Word as well. There's something for everyone at Eastside because of Jesus. And so come and enjoy that time uh, tonight. Uh, so let's just enjoy the Lord today. Let's worship and put Him above all things. Just check all your baggage at the door. No. Bring it on in here and let's just lay it at the cross. Amen? Amen. 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 How are y'all doing this morning? Good, good. It's been a crazy morning. Let's just look at this and you preach your hair before you make your hair. So don't get it. We got here. The guy that's under was a little. They used to sound a little bit of a little mess up. So if there's any loud buzzes down here, it was really loud. Just give us this one data. Tweet that. Forgive us. 
true to the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, wherever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then if you go over to Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So that's what we want to do today. We want to worship Jesus, our Savior and Lord.
with me, Matthew 27. Now this is uh, what we would kind of think about around the Easter season, but I think it's very fitting. First of all, if you've gone to Thunder, you sing Silent Night for Wednesday night, which was phenomenal. We have we we guessed there were about 600 people here. Because every single one of these kinds of chairs were out, and then we went and got every one of the red chairs out. And so that put us somewhere around 600 chairs. And there were still people standing, and what a great, great joy in church you gave. A fund to support that ministry. And the cool thing is, they'll be back in August. And uh, we look forward to having them back then. But this is a message God has just branded on my heart this week. I have read the headlines of the week and seen the news on every outlet from the Christian Index to the Jerusalem Post to the national and satellite news organizations around the world. The headlines have a recurring theme, such as in the last few weeks, the Atlanta fire Atlanta mayor has fired the Atlanta fire chief for writing a book that supported the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. And saying in the book, God has placed me in a position I'm in to bring glory to Him and to His Word. And so the mayor decided that that would ruffle too many feathers. He did not sell the books at the firehouse. He did not force his firefighters to read it. He wrote, he wrote the book from his heart. And then the Atlanta mayor, the same read, fired him. And many have called out and some have even gone to the state capitol to stand up for religious liberty and protest his firing. It has made the mayor even more brazen into taking to social media to blast the Christians for standing up to this attack on religious liberty. We know that in the past months, the mayor of Houston, Texas, sent out subpoenas to local pastors requiring them to mail in their sermon outlines and all of their email communications between them and their church members. And she drew back the subpoena before it ever went to court. Right now, as we worship and we sing glory to the Lamb, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the little African country of Niger are being killed. Their churches are being burned. 
Their families are being torn apart because they're standing for Jesus. It is spreading. It is permeating the earth. It's not just in a little place you may have never heard of called Niger. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's in your kid's college class. I read a very interesting article this week of a psychology professor at the University of Georgia that through believers like you, a church went to a place that the University of Georgia has set up as a free zone. Well, I thought we were in the free zone called America. But now we have to declare free zones. And you can schedule a time. Anybody can schedule a time there. You can schedule a time to be pro-abortion. You can schedule a time to be pro-life. You can schedule a time to be pro-atheist. You can schedule a time to be pro-Christian. On this certain day, this church had scheduled the time to just share the love of Jesus Christ. They didn't get up and yell and scream and pitch a fit, but they got up and they met people where they were and shared the love of God. This professor decided he had heard that this church was going to be using this free zone for such a time as this. And so he took just a little piece of paper and said, ask an atheist. That's what he wrote on the paper. And so he came to protest. Not to be ugly, but to just prove to us ignorant Christians that if we would just open our minds, we'd get rid of this crutch we call Christianity. And so he held his sign up. And you know what? There was a Christian who had studied the Word of God enough that that's exactly what he did. He said, tell me what you believe. And the atheist began, this psychology professor began to expound on all he believed. So this guy was pretty good as an apologist for the Word of God. He said, so you're telling me you do believe in something? Because you're saying you believe in nothing which is completely circular, and you can't do that. You ought to know that as a psychology professor. You cannot believe in nothing. If you believe, you believe in something. And he began to expound that. And he gave him a book by Les, uh, Lee Strobel called, called, called The Cause for Christ. Case for Christ, thank you. The Case for Christ. He was an investigative journalist who was an atheist as well. But as he began to invest, investigate, Lee Strobel says, there's too much evidence. There must be a Jesus. And he was born again. They gave this atheist professor... This book, as well as several other apologetics-type books. And he began to study. And his kids went to church. And his kids got saved and they got baptized. And he found himself not wanting to discourage his kids from following this Jesus. But if he didn't want to discourage his kids for something, he said he so adamantly believed in. Apparently what he believed in wasn't that important. And he began to investigate. He began to learn. And he began to listen. And finally the Holy Spirit overwhelmed him. And now he stands out in the same place with the same sign. But he tells everybody, this is who I used to be. But now it's Jesus. Now I want you to look with me today 
In Matthew 27, at this question, this is not a sermon title. This is a question that I want you in your spirit to ask yourself right now. What will I do with Jesus? What will I do with Jesus? Will Jesus be my life coach? That will give me some good ideas about how to be a good man, a good woman. Look, a lot of people in Islam believe that. They believe Jesus was this great prophet. They didn't even got a tomb for him beside Muhammad in there. Did you know that? The Jehovah's Witness believe Jesus was a really smart, good guy. That could give us some life coaching lessons and help us to be good moral people. Is it just going to be our mentor and be a be a, just our, our our confidant that we just run to and bring all of our garbage? Is it just some name of this guy from Bible school that some sweet little old lady told us we need to believe in? And he's this guy we see in our Sunday school books and on posters in the Sunday school class. And I can right now still see those pictures from my Sunday school class when I was a kid. Is that who Jesus is? Or is he so much more? Why are you going? Is he, is he really the Son of God? Is he everything he says he is and says he was? Is he really the King of kings and Lord of lords? Is he really the Son of God and God preeminent? Is he really the Savior of the world? Is he mine? What will I do with Jesus? Life's full of questions. Who's going to be my friends? What kind of politics and what side am I going to come down on? What am I going to wear? And what group am I going to run with? Am I going to dress God or am I going to dress preppy or they don't even use that word anymore but I don't know what you call preppies anymore so if, am I going to dress this way am I going to do this am I going to follow in faithfulness with a few what kind of daily decisions will I make some decisions we can even postpone you know what a person who uh, puts off things that procrastinates their answer is, why make a decision today on something you can put off till tomorrow? And sometimes you can literally put off and just put off and put off. But there's one thing we've got to decide, and a decision we must all make. What? What will I do with you? In Matthew 27, verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was willing to release them to the people of prison whom they would. They had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. He was an insurrectionist. He was one who stirred up great strife. He was a political mover and shaker in the Jewish sect. And he would do whatever it took. Therefore, when they were gathered together, verse 17, Pilate said unto them, whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? 
For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Abbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Which of the two will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. You see, we start today in this question of what we will do with Jesus by examining the question of desire. What's our desire? What do we desire in life? If you had to make a top ten list of your desires today, some of us would start with retirement issues, and some of us would start with a relationship. Some of us would start with a better job and we would start with more friends and we would start with things that we want. Things and things and stuff that would fill up our life. Someone once said that half the people in this world are miserable working themselves to death and striving for the things that are making the other half miserable. Things. At Papa Jean's homegoing celebration, I mentioned that out of the hundreds of funerals that I have performed and all the many that I have went to the graveside, not one has ever had an armored car. People will shove stuff in the cash and stuff. But there's not a place. Pharaoh and all those great Egyptians tried to do all that. And where, where did he go? To our museums when we dug it up. My friends, what is your desire? Is it based on want or need? I was taught that when I was a boy, I was old enough that my wants wouldn't hurt me. Unless I wanted them so much that they made my daddy mad, then my wants hurt me. <laughs> Want versus need. So many times in our life, our, our question of desire ends up with one. And it ends in sinful rebellion. He said in verse 17, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said, Who will I, or uh, what is your will? Who would you will that I must re re release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. Now, there was a custom in the day, and you can find that in the other synoptics and in John. It says there was a custom of the day to release. Now, it was a Jewish custom, not a Roman custom. And that's important to understand because what Pilate made his decision on was trying to be cultural, culturally relevant. The Jews were trying to meet culture and be part of it rather than to face it head on. My friends, I'm telling you, listen, before I say anything else, the methods can change in the church of God, but the message must remain the same. Yeah. 
things are not the way they were when I was a boy in church. We don't have Sunday school boards hanging on the wall. We don't record how many students. Maybe we ought to. But we do things a little different. And that's okay. We used to have assemblies. We had primary assembly and intermediate assembly and high school assembly. And I'm not talking about school. I'm talking about Sunday school. We'd meet all together. We would have a little miniature lesson and we'd have a mission lesson and then we would sing the doxology and we'd pray we'd go to our classes. We don't do all that stuff anymore. We just lucky to get here anywhere kind of close to 915-ish. We do things different. That's okay. But when culture takes place of what should be happening in our lives, then we become sinfully rebellious to the will of God. What did the custom have to do with the Christ? We must be careful when we start trying to adjust the gospel to what culture is. You see, that's what Kasim Reed, the mayor of Atlanta, is doing in firing the fire chief. Because he's done nothing to impede his job skills. He was a faithful leader of the Atlanta Fire Department. He was faithful in leading his subordinates, in serving and protecting and doing what it took as a fire department. His private life had nothing to do with his job performance except to make it better. But to try to be culturally relevant, it blended in. Duke University, it used to be kind of a Christian school in its beginnings. This past week announced that they were going to start calling for Muslim prayers over loudspeakers five times a day on campus. Now this is a campus that kicked Chick-fil-A off of their campus. They can't, Chick-fil-A cannot sell a sandwich anywhere on the campus of Duke University because their owner stood up for traditional marriage. Now they have since rescinded the call, but a lot of the students are up in arms through the leadership of some of the professors to say that that needs to happen again. This is the same campus that told the students they could not have a group of right to life meetings on their campus, trying to be culturally relevant. Does any of this make sense? I feel like it's right where we're living. And church, it is permeating our community and our, co and, and our world, but it is infiltrating our church. It's coming in where we don't upset anybody. My friends, I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus came, he upset a lot of people. Now, he didn't want to, but the truth will set you free if you're willing to believe it. But if you're not willing to believe the truth, it'll hurt your feelings. It'll make you mad. To the point that you'll say, I'd rather have Barabbas than Jesus. And in sinful rebellion, you look, we're choosing Barabbas in our families. When we put anything in this world ahead of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
There's some things that I might be saying. Some stuff we need to get out of our house. Some stuff that we're afraid that our kids will be made fun of if we don't let them do. Look, I got news for you. You're not going to be able to shelter them all your life. What kind of adult do you want your child to be? One who stands for God or one who caves every time culture says you need to adjust to us? You want one to love his wife as Christ loved the church? Then teach him the biblical principles of being a godly man and how to lead his home. You want your daughter to grow up and be faithful to her husband? Then teach her how to dress modestly now and to be honest and to be true to herself and her Savior so she'll be true to her husband. Teach them now. Because if we allow them to have a foothold in sinful rebellion based on cultural relevance, well, I need to fit in and I need to look this way and I need to do that. Look, parents, I know the pressure of uh, the immediacy of trying to fit in, but I'm telling you, the culture will change in just a few months. They'll want something else. Don't give in now. It'll be a passing fancy. Cultural relevance based on popularity. Pilate just wanted to be popular. He wanted to keep the Jews happy because if he could get the, keep the Jews happy, then his Roman leadership, Caesar, would be happy with him. Because you see, Pilate was in between. Pilate was the governor. Pilate was the representative of the Roman government, the Roman Empire, in Israel for the day. And if Pilate didn't do his job, Caesar find somebody else who would. And look, they didn't just retire you. You know what I mean. They had the Hitler syndrome, you know. If you didn't like what your general did, you just killed him. And so Pilate felt like his life was on the line. If I don't keep the Jews happy, they're going to start a full mass riot. If we don't make the Muslims happy on the college campus, if we don't make the left-wing liberals happy in politics, if we don't try to just make everybody happy in church, then people may not come. People may not do anything. My friends, I'm telling you, people need, they want real truth that will change their life. We must stand up against cultural relevance. Listen to me, young people. All that popularity, and if you're, look, if you're married, you're still wrapped up in all that popularity business. Dude, grow up. All that popularity and being part of this crowd, that crowd, and this club, and that club, I'm telling you, the only thing that matters is being known by name in glory. Because this whole world will let you down. Everybody will let you down. Everybody will let you down. Jesus won't. When we answer this question of desire with want, it becomes a compromising comfort. He said in verse 20, but the chief priests and elders persuaded. Means they leaned on them and said, look, we can make life really hard for you. You see, don't you think for a second that the mayor of Atlanta didn't call that fire chief? Because at first they suspended him. You know what happened then, don't you? They were private meetings went on. 
He was summoned to the mayor's office. He was called in on the carpet. He said, look, if you'll say I overspoke, take the book out of circulation, you keep your job. Don't you think for one minute that didn't happen. Thank God for Chief Cochran who stood up. He said, that's what I believe. And look, my Jesus didn't betray me. I'm not going to betray him. Those that are in Kenya, Nigeria, Niger, in Iraq, those Christian Yazidi people whom the ISIS foes of the cross have come against and said, deny Jesus and we might let you live. Said, how can I deny a Savior who died for me? May I die for him? Church, we are called to push back in the darkness against compromising comfort. Stop being people pleasers. Because I'm going to tell you, if you get busy trying to please people, you won't remember which one you please last. And if you try to please this one, then that one won't like you. So you adjust to that one, then that one won't really like you. Before long, you don't have any principles at all. Just ask a politician. Those of you who have been around as long as I have, remember this very famous phrase that cost the president the second term. Read my lips. No new attack. Within about three months, the opposing party pressured on him to do it. It may have been the right thing. But he compromised and there was a tax went through. And the ones who pressured him for the taxes, then in the next election said, look, he lied to you. He passed the taxes. And they're the ones who wanted it. I'm telling you something. Listen to me. This word, I ain't talking about political parties. I'm talking about the base core human being cannot be loyal because we are born in sin and sin craves wickedness. That's why Paul said every day I must die. Every day. Every day of my life I must rise to be crucified. I must allow Jesus to be the Lord of my life and he was crucified for me that I may live in the nearness not to continue in sin but that grace may abound in everything. But God didn't set you free that you could talk filthy on Twitter. God didn't set you free so you could cheat on your spouse. God didn't set you free so that you could do what you think is socially acceptable. God didn't set you free so that you could be comfortable. He set you free to live eternally and glorify His Son who deserves it. It's about Him. It's not about us. See, that's the whole problem. We think it's about us. We think it's about making us feel good. It's about what songs we want to hear. It's about what kind of job we want to work. It's what kind of food we want to eat. And we don't want anybody to upset our feelings. Some of the most irate, obnoxious people I've ever seen on God's earth are Christians at lunch on Sunday in some diner because they didn't get their food quick enough. 
And they can leave church, go sit somewhere, and have lunch, and act like the pure-out, red-faced, forky-tailed devil to some sweet little old girl that is working to try to pay her bills. I hope that's not you. I pray it's not one of our church members that would ever do anything like that. But it happened. I was a builder. And usually when I went to price a job up front, I didn't tell them I was a Christian because I wouldn't ever get the job. Because they didn't trust Christian builders. But now all Christian builders are not bad, just like all politicians. And I hate to say it, but because I wonder, but all politicians probably are not bad. There's probably three or four in this world, sorry. <laughs> Maybe. Don't stereotype. All preachers are not bad. All lawyers are not bad. All car sales. Apparently all car salesmen are not bad because you bought one. <laughs> right? But ultimately, are we just trying to please people so that we, nobody will mess with us? Look, we want, that ain't none of my business. They want to be a homosexual, ain't none of my business. Look what that's got to do. If they want to do drugs, that's their business. They want to drink. They want to do this. They want look. Look what that's got to church. It is our business. Not to condemn, but to show them there's a better way. To love as Christ loved. Look, he went to the woman caught in adultery. He went to the Samaritan woman. He went to the 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 thieving tax collector. Jesus went to the sorriest, low-down scumbags of the day and told them there's a better way. And they trusted him. He changed him. Because I got news for you. If King David was in leadership in our life, we'd keep him. We wouldn't vote for him again. Now, let's be honest. We found out that our president, of course, I don't know if some people would, but it wouldn't be the Christians that do it. We found out that our president had committed adultery and then had her husband killed. I don't think we'd vote for him, would we? If we found out that our, 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 our pastor was secretly going around having Christians killed? That's who Saul was. That's who David was. But look what God did in their lives. I know I use that example all the time because it's so overwhelming to me that God in His infinite mercy and grace can take a thieving, adulterous murderer and make him a man after his own heart. If He can do that with David, He can do that with Saul, He can do that with me. Do it with you. Stop being people pleasers. Verse 19, we see that this question of desire of want brings us to a place of complacent carnality. It said he sat down. I sat down on these judgment seats. I don't know why, but in my study, that jumped off the page more than anything else. You know why? Because I think we all believe we have a right some sort to make 
these great spiritual decisions. And we do so without conferring with the one who really does make the decision. We decide we can make our decision on whether we like somebody or not. We make our decision whether we think somebody is righteous enough or not. And I know the Bible teaches that we are to judge with righteous judgment. But it's my job as a father to my kids hang out with. If I'm not judging the way other kids act around them and say, look, I really don't want you hanging out with them, then I'm not being a very good father. Don't take Matthew 7 out of context when he says judge not that you be not judged. He's talking about putting yourself in a position of lordship. Of judging men's souls. What we need to understand is that in complacent carnality, we just ignore everything. He said in verse 19, that his wife said, look, don't you have anything to do with this man because of him I have suffered all day long through dreams. You better not mess with him. Listen to me, man. Every man in this place, look at me. You do well this with your wife sometimes. I'm saying that kind of joking, but I'm saying it serious too. Pilate would have done well if he would have listened to his wife. We think because we're logical, we've got it all figured out. A plus B plus C. And black, black, white, white, that's the way it works. It's got, it's got gas, and it's got oxygen, and it's got fired off the crane. But sometimes it still won't. We just can't understand why it don't work. I want you to understand sometimes we need to listen because Pilate ignored the divine signs God was giving him. What divine sign? Look, God is speaking to you. You don't even see it. We think it's supposed to come in some great loud thundering. And it's supposed to be written in clouds in the sky. And it's supposed to be tattooed. And, and just, you know, it looks like the Batman light shining up in the night. And sometimes, like when the light hits a still, small voice, but we're too loud to hear it. What divine sign is God giving you? Warning you path you're headed down. What is it? God may be warning you that money's become your God. What is it that God is warning you that your kids have become your God? What is it? That God is issuing a divine sign. It can come from your children, come from your wife, come from your husband, come from the preacher, come from a bumper sticker. God can use anything. Look, he can use a donkey to save a man's life. He can use anything. Let us not be complacent in the carnal nature of just wallowing in sin. Because we just don't care anymore. We say it's not worth the fight. Why? Why? It's just too hard to get up and study the Word of God. It's too, too hard to go to Sunday school class. It's too hard to work with men and women's ministry. It's too hard to work with kids and stay in the nursery. That's just, man, I, I can deal with them when they get five years old. I can't deal with them when they're one and two. That's why well, I, I got news for you. You got to be one or two before you be five. 
And what are we going to do? Put a big sign up when we're walking up here and say, look, we love y'all, but don't come back until your kids five years old. We've got to stop worrying about our self-comfort, complacency, and compromise. We need to start choosing the need. You know what we need? Surrendered repentance. Our altars need to be filled. Our carpets in our homes and in our churches need to be soaked with the weeping tears of brokenness. Because our family members are dying and going to hell. Our country is dying and going to hell. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering for the cause of the cross. And yet we laugh and it's all about fun and games. My friends, we need a radical change. When Jesus changes your life, he doesn't just make you a better fellow. He makes you different at the core. There will be a change. People who walk down the aisle popping gum, skipping and hopping, and there's no visual change before long they're gone. They can come, we can ask them all the pertinent questions, and look, I can grill them at, as hard as an FBI and, and the CIA. We can put them under spotlight, say, now you sure you're not going to heaven? You sure you're not going to hell? Are you sure you're repenting? Look, I can ask them seven ways to Sunday if they're born again. But only they really know. Now it's my job as a disciple maker to do my due diligence to ensure that they understand that baptism will just make you a wet sinner if you're not saved. But I can't get them saved. They can't get their self saved. We can surrender in repentance and say, God, I can't do it. I can't clean myself up. I can't make myself good. I look, but when we surrender, look, look with me real quick to Titus. Titus chapter 2. At this last of the pastoral epistles, the apostle Paul wrote to Titus. And he said in verse 11, I love this, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age or world. Don't tell me you can't do it because he told us we ought to. And if he tells us we ought to do it, then greater is he that is within us than he that is amen he's made us more than conquerors do you get that do you know what it means to be greater than a conqueror every great kingdom of this world has lasted about 400 years and in prophecy we see four great nations go see four, four great empires we see the roman empire the greek Empire, the Mede Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. But they all ended, they all ended, they all ended. They're all going to be resurrected to be finally put to an end in the coming age. But 
point is that all the Caesars ceased to exist. Mussolini tried to resurrect it in World War II. That didn't turn out so well, did it? How long did the thousand year right last? About 11 years. I don't know if you can do the math there, but that's about 989 years short. 400 years is about how long empires last. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But the word of God will stand forevermore because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Now, who are you? That would be a radical change in our life. Church, you want to change Claxton? I'm not asking that rhetorically. Do you want to change Claxton? Yes. Do you want to change Claxton? Yes. yes. You want to change Evans County, Tyler County, Boyd County? Do you really want to change it, Brian County? Yes. yes. Then we've got to be obedient and be radical in our belief that Jesus really is. When people see your life and my life, do they see that there is enough radical change that we're so different from the world? And I'm not talking about one eyeball between, you know, in the middle of our head and we got to act some kind of weird way. We look like a cult robot walking around. But we're so radical in the love of Jesus Christ and His grace and mercy that they can't help but fall on their face and say, God, I want what they've got. Because I'm afraid the church resembles the world way too much. My pastor said 30 years ago, there's too much world in the church and too much church in the world. Do we look like the church on Saturday night when only our buddies are watching us? Do we look like the church then? There ought to be a radical change. Putting away all this worldly stuff. Trusting Jesus. That would be a reassuring presence. He tells us in Hebrews, look, if you feel down and out today, you feel like nobody loves you, you feel like you've been just left on an island, you feel vacated from the grace of God, I want to give you some hope and some encouragement right here today. He said in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Can we say that today? Do we really believe He'll never leave us nor forsake us? And no matter what the world does, we can say He's my helper. Because the Scripture says we can't. Be reassured in our presence. Look, you got to say this every time you pray. God's will be done. Lord, that I'm reassured that no matter what I'm going to face today, you're going to be there. You're going to lift me up. You're going to encourage me. Look, you're going to be able to capture every thought before it comes to your mouth and take it hostage for the cause of Christ. So restful hope and peace. He said in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You realize this is not all there is, right? You realize that? It's not all there is. 
The older you get, the more funeral homes you visit, isn't it? The most conversation you have now is when a classmate dies. You go see all the rest of them at the funeral home and talk about the good You check and see what's going on with your friends by reading your obituaries. And I'm not being funny. The older you get, the quicker they come. But you realize this is not all there is. Because there is a country city not made with human hands. A city built by God. A city where there is no rust, where there are no mods to corrupt. Thieves cannot break through and steal. Please understand that in surrendered repentance there's a restful hope and peace of knowing I can but He can. Finally, it's a question of destiny today. Once we've got that desire straightened out, understand the question of destiny. He said in verse 22, Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the Lord. Saying, let him be crucified. They didn't say because of this or because of that. Look, Pilate just wanted to scourge him because of being an insurrectionist. He wanted to just give him a good beating and send him home. They wouldn't answer the question, church. When you hold their feet to the fire on truth, they'll change the subject. Because the truth will stand when the world's on fire. But they'll keep hard crucifying. We must make the decision to believe and receive. You know what Barabbas means? Anybody know what Barabbas means? You know what your name means? Anybody know what their name means? Grace. Anybody else know what your name means? I don't know why in America, in English language, words don't mean anything. Names ought to mean something. My name, Matt, comes from Matthew, from the Greek. In its etymology, it means the gift of God. My mama likes that. <laughs> Barabbas means son of the Father. That's what Barabbas means. Son of the Father. Think about this. The Son came in exchange for another son. Jesus come to die for Barabbas. But make no mistake about it, no matter what your name is, Jesus come to die for your sin. This is a question of destiny, my friends. The question of whether we will believe and receive. Look, it's not believe and do something. It's not Jesus plus something. It's confessing I am nothing. I can't be good. I can't make up my mind. I can't just decide that I'm going to be all this. First of all, to even love God, He's got to love you. First. And we know He does. For God so loved the world. But to choose Him, He must first choose you. You see, you don't come when you want to. People say, well, when I get a little older and I've sown my wild oats and I've done my thing, look, when I get out of high school, I need to be able to enjoy time. And then I'll come back. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't promise you you was 
don't like it past that time. Once again, the hundreds of funerals I've preached, I've preached them from stillborn to 99 years of age and everything in between. I've done them for 20 years, 17, 4 months. I've done them throughout the spectrum. I've done them in auto accidents. I've done them in cancer. I've done them with liver and pancreas and everything else you can imagine. I can, I've done them for just dying of old age. They died in their sleep. They died in tragic ways, but they died. Do you know that one day they're going to say the same thing about you? And whatever the circumstances, don't matter. They're going to say, and she died, and he died. But the truth must be that if we are willing to confess that Jesus Christ is enough, Jesus Christ is more than enough, Jesus Christ died for all of my sin, and I believe it in my heart, then the world can say, He might have died in the body, but bless God, He believed, and He is alive forevermore. Believe and receive. One son exchanged for the other. He said it in verse 26, then released he Barabbas unto them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified for others. Then verse 25, they answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Look, keep living the way you're living, and you can refuse and lose. Refuse to follow Jesus. Refuse to be obedient. And even if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you refuse to follow His Lordship and the direction for your life, you will cut your life short. And it may not be in years, but I can promise you it will be in blessings. Once again, I quote Mark Twain and say that in 20 years from now, we will have more regrets for what we didn't do than for the things we did. What is it God's calling you to do? Where is it God wants you to go? What is it that God wants you to radically remove from your life, confess and give it to Him? Instead of refusing to be obedient, costing yourself the blessing. And I want to end with this. Let me ask you this question. We started with what will you do with Jesus? Over and over, Pilate said, what would you have me to do with it? He said, we want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Yeah, but he's done nothing. I don't care. Crucify him. Yeah, but I mean, why? They said, no matter why, let his blood be on us and on our children. Crucify him. Somebody here today, they said, man, I'm coming to keep my grandma happy. I don't want to be here. This is stupid. You convinced yourself, I don't need church, I don't need God, I don't need all this stuff. You don't know what you want to do? You want to go to hell. Well, I got great news for you. You want to go to hell? The really cool thing about going into hell, you ain't got to do anything. You don't have to do a single thing to go to hell. Just keep doing what you do. The Bible says that we do not become condemned but then we're condemned already. We're born into sin. Good news! You want to live like you want to live without Jesus? Just keep doing what you're doing and you'll die and go to hell. But if you want to die and live forevermore, if you want to know that there's hope and there is life forevermore, 
there is happiness and joy and peace unspeakable, then you need to understand that the only decision must be Jesus. And I'm talking about all of Jesus, not part of Jesus, not half of Jesus, not a feel-good Jesus, not a Sunday Jesus. I'm talking about a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, 365 days and 366 dearly dear kind of Jesus. That's your prayer today. Your answer is I will follow Him. I want Jesus. Then I want you to tell right now. They're going to want you to come on to the altar right now without hesitation, Spain. Stanley, you need to come. Because the question's been posed to you right now. Just as Pilate asked, what do you want me to do with it? God's asking, what are you going to do with my son? Come.
You know, the invitation can be a fickle time. As believers, sometimes we think it's just for lost people to come and pray and receive Christ. And then we also think, well, it's just for the worst Christians. It's really messed up this week to come to repent. You know, this is an altar of dedication, too. Doesn't mean you're doing everything wrong or anything wrong. We all mess up. We know that. Sometimes this is an altar of surrender to ministry. Where are those who are being called to full-time ministry today? Called to preach. Called to be missionaries. So I wasn't called to go to Africa. That's not the only place missionaries go. They go into the prisons. Glenville and Reedsville Claxton. They go to Indian reservations and they go to resorts on the coast and they share the love of Jesus. They go to college campuses and teach kids, oh, don't worry about that psych professor, they just need Jesus. And they encourage students. Look, God may be moving in your life Moving on you in a way that God is calling you to something. I'd love to talk to you about that. You can come to me and call me during the week, see me, whatever. We schedule time out. I'll do whatever I can. Speak to Brother Chad, Michelle. God's moving in your life. Don't, don't be hesitant. Don't think it's silly or anything else. Just be found faithful. God will bless you. Aren't you glad we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord? No matter what the world says, He really did come to this earth. He really was born in the burden. He really did live without sin and die on the cross. And He really did rise again and set us free. And He really, really, really is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now waiting on you. To bring your prayers to the Father. Trust Jesus. It may not make everything seem perfect, but I can promise you it'll make everything right in your heart. If you follow Him. Anything else before we have a word of prayer? After we have a word of prayer, listen, those of you who are guests this morning, God bless you. Please, church, make sure you let them know we're glad they were here. And then after a moment, time for that, some of you may need to go to the restroom, get a drink of water. We're going to have a quick business meeting to uh, deal with the budget. And uh, then we'll be dismissed. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessings on that and on the rest of the day. Philip, we pray. Father, let me thank you for the opportunity to be in presence today. Thank you for your word. On the challenge of your word. You said that the word was going to separate stuff. Yeah. Hey, the junk can put it on one side. Yeah. The truth can put it on another. I pray that we can choose our lives. Your word can separate all the truth that they can preach to us. Thank you for man that's making us pray for this God, we would surrender to you all the things that we have as a body. Uh, we want to be right for you and be right for you. Thank you for the faithfulness of others who work to prepare for us to look forward to this coming year. And I pray that the things that are in this place will bring a lot of people.